Well, good morning, Four Corners. Oh, you have to do better than that. Good morning, Four Corners. All right. Um, I am Pastor Joseph. Um, I believe Pastor Will referred to me as the truth this morning. Uh, I'm not sure what that's about. Um, And as Dave said, I am from Texas. So apparently there's a lot of great presidents from there. Um, But hey, I'm new on staff here. I've been here for a few months. And I just want to tell you guys, this place is awesome. Like this is honestly an incredible church. You have an incredible team. If there's ever a time that you kind of like cheer, it's kind of right now. So just say, okay, yeah, we got an incredible church. There we go. All right. We're, we're waking up. We're waking up. Hey, we really have an awesome church. One of the things I love here is Pastor Will and our worship band every single week. Like they just kill it. I'm like, I love, like, do you guys love how excited they get? Like you just see like Damon, like getting it. Chris with the stank face. Oh, okay. So that one got you. Yeah. Yeah. And do want to give a quick shout out. Today is Pastor Will's birthday. So if you get a chance today, wish him a happy birthday. Awesome. We're excited about that. Guys, we have a great team. We have a great kids program. Like, honestly, I've been to a lot of churches. I've even worked at other churches that my wife was not comfortable leaving our children in until we came here. We have an incredible kids program. Sabrina and the team, they do a great job. That lady right there is exactly who made our, our kids feel welcome. Uh, we love it here. We love everything we do. But I do want to take just one quick moment and give honor where honor is due. And guys, we have an incredible senior pastor and Pastor Ben and his wife, Jill. I mean, they are absolutely phenomenal. And I was writing things down, and honestly, I was trying to come up with the right adjective to describe him, and there's a whole lot of different things that I kept writing. Um, he's a great leader. He's a great friend. Uh, there's so many things that he does, but honestly, there were, there were two words that kept popping out to me. Anybody who follows Christ, we know that there's really only two adjectives that matter whenever we reach to heaven, and that's going to be these two, that we were good and that we were faithful. And I don't think that there are two words that describe our senior pastor and his wife better than being good and being faithful. He is a good and faithful pastor. He is a good and faithful husband. He is a good and faithful father. And he is a good and faithful friend. And I, for one, am excited and honored to be here and believe that every one of us have been impacted by his good and faithfulness. So will you guys just give it up for Pastor Ben and Jill and who they are? They're awesome. Well, hey, guys, I do things a little bit different. I want to jump right into Scripture real quick. So if you guys have your notes or you have your Bibles or if you just memorize the Bible and you know everything, kudos to you. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read two quick verses. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it this morning. Here's what the Word says. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then we skip to verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. We're going to finish our You, Me, and Us series this morning. So if you will, take just a quick moment, pray with me, and we'll jump into it. God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for all of your incredible blessings. God, we thank you for 4C. We thank you for the leaders that you've assembled here, the volunteers that are here. God, we thank you for um, everything incredible that you're doing through this place. And God, I just pray that we would take a few moments this morning, a few moments to just shut out the noise, a few moments to not worry about what we got to do at work or worry about what's going on at home, but just a few few moments to enter into your word and to learn from you this morning. God, I pray that you would just use me as a vessel. I pray that my words would speak only from your mouth. And God, we thank you. We give you glory and we give you honor in your name. Amen. So this last week was Valentine's Day, right? 
Valentine's Day was February 14th. A lot of you got, I'm seeing some smiles. Some of you had a great Valentine's Day. I can see. Some of you didn't. That's why you're kind of nudging your, your husband next to you. Like, yeah, it was this Wednesday. You forgot. Valentine's Day was this week. And I didn't get to spend Valentine's Day with my wife this year, and so we were talking yesterday, actually, and I was just trying to fish for compliments here, you know, like a, a typical husband. I'm just like, you know, I was there, wasn't there this week, but what about some of the other Valentine's Days, right? Like, what are some of the good things that I've done? And honestly, she kept noticing that I have this common denominator I seem to do every time I do something exciting. A few years ago, it was on Valentine's Day, and it was on a Friday, and I had this great idea. All right, it was perfect. I was going to surprise her at work. I was going to pick her up. I was going to take her to Raleigh, North Carolina, where we were living. I was going to take her to the city. I had this nice hotel. I had all this, her perfect dinner plan, all her favorite events. I mean, it was going to be the best Valentine's Day of her life. I pick her up from work and she's just ecstatic. Like, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. You know, like the compliments I was wishing I was getting yesterday, I got then. Like, you're so amazing. You're so great. Oh, I love this. You know, we got the windows down because it's North Carolina. It's a lot warmer than here. And, you know, we're just like, life is so good. You know, I'm playing her favorite music. She's like, what are we going to do first? I mean, it is just amazing. So we get to the hotel and I'm just like, man, I crushed it. I thought of everything. I've never seen her more excited. And so we get out of the car and I'll never forget, she says, so where's my bag? <laughs> You're what? She said, you planned everything. Where's my bag? So being a smart husband, I immediately on the fly said, well, that was part of your surprise. We're going to buy everything brand new for you for Valentine's Day. So I thought that meant maybe a shirt and a pair of pants. Oh, no. I can't go to dinner without new makeup. And if I get a new outfit, I have to ask you, so I, yeah, I spent a whole lot more money than I thought I was going to spend that weekend because of one simple thing, as hard as I tried, I forgot this one very important detail, and that was her bag. So I said, okay, 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 well, that was one Valentine's Day. Like, give, me, give me another one. Right, I've, I've done a few other good things. And she said, well, I remember a couple of years ago when we first had the girls around Valentine's Day, what you did is I came home from work. I was working at a church, and I came home, and, and I said, hey, why don't, why don't you go to bed, and I'll stay up with the girls. It's getting close to Valentine's Day. I'm their dad. I'll be okay, a couple hours at least, right? Get some sleep. What's the worst that could happen? Somebody's already laughing. Like, like, you think I'm a failure as a father. Like, like, I was like, what's the worst that could happen, right? Like, just, 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 you go to sleep. I got this. So they were very small, and they were smaller than I even thought. And, and they, were, they were getting fussy, and I was so, so tired. And so I just did probably what I shouldn't have done, so don't judge me. But I picked them both up, and I laid down on the couch, and I just fell asleep with them in my arms. I mean, like, I had pillows around me. I mean, they were going to fall, you know. I got, I got a good grip on them and everything. I fall asleep with two babies in my arms. Two. I wake up with one. <laughs> and these guys can't move. So I'm, I, you know, like, when you're super tired and you wake up and, like, something that's not bad seems like a, like a natural disaster. Like, I wake up with one baby and immediately, oh, my God, I, I lost a baby. Like, I actually somehow lost a baby. And guys, I'm in an all-out panic. I mean, I am literally almost in tears. Like, what in the world could I have possibly, how in the world did I misplace a baby? I'm like looking up, like, I don't know why. I'm like picking up couches, like she's under the couch. Like, I'm like opening closet doors like a, like a three-month-old got in a closet. Like, you know, I'm doing, everyone's just like, 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to wake her up and tell her I lost the baby. So how do you tell your wife, first-time mother, who has two three-month-olds that there's only now one, but at least I got one, right? Like, so I, I go in, and I'm like, I'm like almost in tears. I'm literally just like, hey, babe, I lost a baby. And I'm thinking she's about to lay into me. And she rolls over, and I kid you not, she's got the baby in her arm. And I'm like, what happened? She's like, oh, well, I got up, saw you were there, and grabbed a baby. I said, why don't you, like, punch me next time and say, hey, I'm taking one of these things so you don't have to freak out next time you wake up. Right? Like, I mean, give me a heads up. But she was like, you just have this habit of always seeming to just forget or lose things when it comes up to Valentine's Day. But here's what I found. As hard as I try, as much as I plan, as much effort as I put into it, it's very natural for me just to come up a little bit short. I just don't quite seem to get all the way there like I wish I could. Man, I have a great plan. I try really hard. I've got incredible intentions, but I don't quite make it all the way to the destination that I thought I would. I've even found that to be true in my own personal life. I found that as hard as I try to get things right, as hard as I try to be perfect, as hard as I try to be the husband I'm supposed to be or the father I'm supposed to be or the son I'm supposed to be or the friend I'm supposed to be, I just seem to come up short. I'm flawed. I have shortcomings. I don't quite always match up. But that's okay, right? People are okay with that. We know that we come up short. We know that we have shortcomings. Everybody is fine with that. But in the context of marriage, I wonder what it looks like when you take one person who has flaws and another person that has flaws and put them together. What happens? Because culture has told us what? I love Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire's famous line, everybody knows it. You complete me. That's what culture taught us, right? That you will complete me. It doesn't matter that, I'm sh- that I have shortcomings. It doesn't matter that I have flaws. It doesn't matter all the things that are wrong with me. As long as I find the right person, I'll take my half of the heart and I'll put it with their half of the heart and we will be complete. Right? It's the, oh, we're perfect. We're happily ever after. But I wonder what happens whenever we walk in with our shortcomings and we're just honest about it. I wonder if whenever I walk into this thing, I'm honest about the fact that I struggle with some addictions. I wonder if whenever I come into this marriage, I'm honest about the fact that maybe I didn't receive a lot of affection as a child, so I'm not that affectionate. I wonder if whenever we come into this thing, we're honest about the fact that, you know what? I had a lot of bad relationships, and so I'm carrying a lot of baggage and maybe even some trust issues. I wonder if we're honest and we say, you know what, as hard as I try, I have a lot of anger issues that I just seem to struggle with. Or I come from this and I come from that. And honestly, what happens is whenever you try to put these two things together, we think that it's going to make us whole. But really what we have is some really weird looking thing that we call marriage. Right? And if we're really honest, a lot of times what we began with, with our shortcomings, actually got a lot harder because now instead of just carrying mine, I'm carrying theirs too. And we say that it's just, we're supposed to complete each other and we're just supposed to be happy and it's just supposed to work out. But the fact is, it doesn't. The fact is, it's not that simple. We don't actually complete each other because we're always, you know, we're good when we first start out, right? We're really nice about it. 
Have you ever said, and maybe for some of you it's been a while since you've said this, maybe for some of you you're more recently married and you're still in the very kind, loving stage, and you're like, you know what? You're not so nice. Some of you haven't heard that in a while. You've heard a different version of that, and I'll get to that in a minute. Some of you, you know, maybe you look at it and you say, we argue a lot. Maybe you look at it and you say, I just, I just thought that, she would, that he would be more affectionate. I just thought that she would enjoy intimacy a little bit more. I just thought that when we got married that it just somehow all of my flaws and shortcomings would be filled because now we're married. But if you leave it undealt with, those very kind, nice things that you just kind of notice about each other, they turn into some all-out brawls, right? I mean, like they eventually it turns into, you know what? You are such a jerk, right? Like, you know what? You always do this, and that's what's wrong with us. Well, if you didn't act like this, I wouldn't struggle with anger so much. Well, if you would just do this, then finally we would be happy, but it's not going to happen until you fix it. Right? That's what happens in marriage. That's what happens. That's what we do is eventually all of these flaws, all of these shortcomings come to a head. And now instead of just noticing that, they, that we didn't fit together perfectly, now we're almost angry that the other person can't fix me. And here's a couple of things of what happens. We know that over 50% of those marriages will end in divorce because we just didn't complete each other. But here's a statistic that bothers me even more. 60% of the 50% that remain, so 60% of the half of marriages that don't get divorced, here's what they do. Statistically, they say that they have just accepted that they're going to be miserable and unhappy the rest of their lives. So statistics say that 80% of marriages will either end in divorce or just accept that they're not going to be happy and they're going to be miserable and it's just the way life is. And I got to tell you, that is not the way that God intended it. God did not intend for marriage to end in divorce or to end in misery or for people to be unsatisfied. He intended for marriage to be an incredible gift for you and for me to participate in. But he also outlined a specific way that it's supposed to happen. He outlined some very specific things in the Bible and said, hey, do A, B, C, and D and enjoy the fruit of this. The problem is we don't want to do it. The problem is we look right over it. And so I wonder if just for a few minutes this morning, I've got 30 minutes left, I'll try to make it in 20. If we can just take a few minutes and just say, I don't want to be unhappy and I don't want to end in divorce. But I realize that there are some shortcomings, there are some flaws in our marriage. What can I do to fix that? So we read in Genesis chapter 2, we read two incredible verses. And I love the first one. It says that... um, Uh, In Genesis chapter 2, it talks about them being a helper that is suitable for man. You see, here's the first thing you've got to realize about your spouse. We're just going to look at your spouse for a minute, all right? In a minute, we'll look at you, but just for right now, we want to look at your spouse. And here's the thing you've got to realize about your spouse, is your spouse was meant to be your helper. And a lot of times we look at that word helper and we think that it's subservient for some reason. We look at that and think that our spouse, and because uh, it says that the woman was made to be the helper, that she's supposed to be under us, but that actual word has a very strong military meaning. That word actually means a powerful act or a rescue of sorts to come and take place. That's the type of helper that he's talking about, and a helper that is suitable for him. 
That means this isn't somebody that's beneath him. This is somebody who is beside him. Somebody who have all equal rights, who are intended to partner together as helpers. But a lot of times we get this flawed, and I asked if she would. Whitney, would you come on stage for just a minute? This is my wife. She is incredible. She's already nervous. I told her she'd have to greet you. I'm just, I didn't tell her she'd have to do that. I just said, hey, would you just come up and stand here and look pretty? Because I don't think it's that difficult. Thank you. So here's what happens, okay? God intended for your spouse to be your helper. He intended for you two to become one and help one another. So here's God's intention for you to help each other, right? Well, if, if, if the goal is to get towards God's call, if the goal is to reach God's destiny, that means that as long as my eyes are on him, we're both going forward. But the second that I start to get off the trail, my spouse's job is to help me get back on. Okay, the second that she gets off the trail, her, my job is to help her get back on. Everybody understands this and agrees with this. This is cool. This is the way it's supposed to be. But what happens when I take my eyes off of what God's told me to do, off of what God wants to do in my life, off of what God wants to do in my marriage, and I turn and look at her? Now, instead of God being the one who fixes me, instead of God being the one that heals my flaws, instead of God being the one who comes up with my shortcomings, I look at her and say, you fix it. So imagine, I'm not going to do it, but imagine Instead of her holding my hand, I said, carry me. She's pretty strong. She would make it a few steps. Maybe. maybe a few steps, right? I mean, like she wouldn't not, she would not say no. She would give it everything she had. But eventually, what would happen? She would collapse. Because I'm too heavy. Because people aren't meant to carry people. And what happens in our marriages is instead of saying that we're meant to help each other, that we're suitable to go for God and get what God has for us, we turn to each other and say, instead of you being my helper, I need you to be my savior. This is what happens whenever you say, you know what? I wouldn't struggle with anger if you would just, right? Instead of saying, God, I need help with my anger, we say, if you would do this, I wouldn't struggle with anger. You're my savior. Carry me past this anger right? Or you know what? I would be a lot more affectionate if you just enjoyed sex a little bit more. Why are you laughing at that? <laughs> Don't ever bring your spouse up here and say that. So it's not part of us. So anyways, this won't go online. We'll, we'll, I'll fix it next time. So right? But that's what we do is instead of saying, God, I need you to help me with this. We look at them and say, you do it. And the fact of the matter is, God specifically said your spouse is meant to be your helper, not your savior. And every time that you look at your spouse to fix you or fix the flaw or fix what's going on, essentially what you're saying to do is carry me. And any of you who have gone through that season, maybe you're in that season, maybe you know other people who've gone through that season, eventually what happens is you both collapse and the marriage ends right there. Because God called us to go there and help each other. He didn't call her to carry me there. He didn't call me to carry her there. He called me to help her get there. Thank you. You did great. You're amazing. I'm sorry for embarrassing you. You see, but the second thing about the helper is, is you have to stay connected, right? In verse 24, we talk, uh, they start talking about how a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. 
Because the fact is, to, be, to, to talk about being united, to be a good helper, to be the person God has called you to be with your spouse, you have to learn that the secret to a successful relationship is living in unity, not in division. You see, a lot of times, even the fact that I said that you're supposed to be a helper, you're supposed to be united, you're supposed to be this, nobody disagrees with that. That is great. We love it. Yes, we'll knock it out of the park. But the fact of the matter is we let a whole lot of things come in and divide us. We let a whole lot of things come in and remove the very thing that God meant for us to have. You see, it says to leave your father and mother. And yes, it does mean to leave your father and mother. But the implication there is to leave behind what you have done, what you have known and who you are and become who you were meant to be with your spouse and pursue what God has called you to be. You see, the truth is that maybe there are some things that are causing some divides between us that we need to remove. I don't want to go into all details. Pastor Melissa did a great job talking about who's on your team at our marriage conference just a few weeks ago. But the fact is that there may be some people in your life that are causing division between you and your spouse. There may be some activities you're involved in that are causing division between you and your spouse. There may be some outside things that you're letting come in that are causing division between you and your spouse. And the funny thing is, whenever there's division, the person that was supposed to be our helper now begins to look like our adversary. The person who was supposed to help us pursue God is now the person keeping me from doing what I want to do. The person who's supposed to help me become a better person is now keeping me from becoming the person I want to be. Because the key to a successful relationship is unity, not division. So we want to look at your spouse as the helper, not your savior. Your spouse is your helper. But I want to take just a few moments, and I want us to look at our lives specifically. I want to take just a few moments and look at if my spouse is meant to be my helper, then what is my role in this? Because I'm still flawed. I still have a lot of shortcomings. I'm still weak in a lot of areas. What is my role in this? You see, and God gives us a really cool description that takes place even before marriage and continues through marriage. God actually gives us five things that he wants to provide for you before you ever step foot into marriage. And those five things are found in the beginning, right before marriage took place in Genesis chapter 2. It's in your notes. It's going to be on the screens. But Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 say this. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees go out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For then, you, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You notice how there are five things that God wants to do before he made the helper that was suitable for him? Because God knows something. That he's supposed to have a relationship with you where he provides things. Because the fact is, every time there's a gap in your relationship with God, that gap will manifest in your earthly relationships. The fact is, anytime there's a gap between what God wants to provide for you and what he has for you, it will always manifest in your earthly relationships. 
So what are those five things that God wants to provide for you? Well, he gives it very clearly in Genesis chapter two here. And I love at the very beginning what it says. It says that the Lord God took Adam and he put him in the garden. The Lord God took Adam and he put him in the garden because God wants to give you a place so that you can discover your purpose. Notice that Adam didn't just like stumble on this place. It wasn't an accident that Adam ended up in the garden. It was very specific. It was very much part of the plan that God put Adam, he took him and he placed him in the garden so that he could find his purpose. And here's the thing that God wants to be the one to provide for you is God wants to provide a place for you. But here's the truth. A lot of us, we fight the place that God has put us in. A lot of us really don't like where God has put us. God placed you in this job, but you just really don't like it. Or God placed you with this family, but they are really dysfunctional. Or God placed you in this school and you really just don't like it. And you know what I found is that people that tend to fight the place God gave for them tend to fight their marriage too. Here's what we do at work. Well, you know what? They just don't appreciate me. They don't pay me enough for what I'm doing. I just don't enjoy it here. And then what you do is you come home and you say, you know what? You just don't appreciate me. You just don't enjoy what I mean. You don't do enough for me. Because the very fact that there's a gap between what God has placed you in, that you're not at peace about it, you're not finding your purpose, you are fighting against where God has placed you, means that when you fight what God has given you here and his provision for you, eventually what you will do is you will fight what he's given right here, the place that he's placed you in. Or we fight the family, right? We, 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 you know what? It's their fault if they would just fix this. They just need to get help. If they would do this, they're so messed up. They're so wrong. It's them, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them. But then when you come back to your marriage, you do the exact same thing. It's them, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them. Because you have yet to find peace in the place that God has placed you in. You don't like where God has placed you, so you will fight it and you will fight it and you will fight it. And every step of the way that you fight the place God has given you, you will fight the marriage that God has given you. So the first thing God wants to do is he wants to provide a place for you. The second thing that we find is that he wants to provide a provision for you so that you can accomplish his will. It says that he put them in the garden and he gave all kinds of trees, all kinds of food. It says that he produced good fruit that was good to eat. God wants to give a provision for you, but catch this, so that you could accomplish his will. So here's the thing, God only funds what he plans. The fact is a lot of us don't like God's will, so we step outside of his provision and try to provide for our own. And what we do is we get ourselves in a whole lot of trouble. I won't talk about the obvious, but the financial implications of my life's just not good enough. God hasn't provided enough, so I'm gonna get more in debt and I'm gonna buy more and I'm gonna live far beyond my means because that's what I want because God's, what God has provided isn't good enough, so I wanna live over here. We already know that that's gonna completely throw your life upside down. But what about the other things that God has provided for you that just don't seem good enough? Because whenever you fight the provision that God has given you here, you will also fight the provision God has given you here. So what that looks like is, you know what? You're just not affectionate enough, but I can find somebody or something that is. Because you're so used to living off of your will instead of God's. Well, you know what? Let's, 
you just don't meet my intimacy desires, but I can find somebody or something that will. You know what? You just don't seem to make me happy, but I can find somebody or something that will. You see, we develop this habit that because I'm not satisfied with God's provision for his will, I will seek my will, which means because there's a gap here, now there's a gap here that her or his provision isn't enough, so I'll go find it somewhere else. The third thing that we find is that he wants to give you an identity so that you have authority. I love that he says he put Adam, the man that he had created, in the garden. So he created him, and we know in Genesis chapter 1, in his image and in his likeness. So that means that he wants Adam to look and to act like him, not Kanye West, right? You're not supposed to look like Tom Brady or Gazelle. You're not supposed to look like your favorite Instagram person you follow who has no idea that you exist. I love that, by the way. People are like, oh, did you see this? They're so cool. I'm like, they don't even know you. Don't you find that a little creepy? Apparently you don't. So anyway, so I'll just, I'll keep going, right? But like, but like, you're not supposed to be who you see on Instagram or who you see on TV or who your friends are or even who your parents are. You're supposed to be this. This is who I have created you to be. And when you find your identity, you have authority. A couple of weeks ago, whether you like it or not, we had an incredible opportunity and the fan club is here as well. They can vouch for it. This is my family, this three rows over here that are all smiling because they think I'm about to embarrass them. Would you all say, I'm just kidding, I'm not gonna do that. So, so we had this really cool opportunity. My father-in-law and his company did this really cool thing and President Trump decided to come down and meet them in person. Like, this is so cool. They're probably spying on everything I'm doing. This is awesome. Like, like I'm just like, and, it, and I'm like, you know, I don't have to come, but I, w- I wouldn't be mad if you invited me. Like, and so he's like, yeah, yeah, you can come. And so like, we're thrilled. I'm so pumped. Like, literally, I can't sleep. And we have this plan. The plan is you get there. Joseph's name is supposed to be on the little clipboard. And when you get to the secret service, it's pretty cool, right? I, when you get to secret service, you just say, hey, I'm Joseph Antley. Show him your ID. They'll let you right in. So that was the plan. So we get to secret service. And I'm, I got this. I got this, babe. Joseph Antley, can here see the president? Um, yeah, Mr. Antley, you're, you're, you can't go in. <laughs> no, I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on the list. I'm, I'm on the list. Yeah, you're on the list, but you're going to have to go drive around here. You're going to have to go through this back way. You'll have to get another person to let you in. You have to do this. And I'm just like, man. Like, I, this, is, this isn't fun. This isn't what I thought. And I kid you not, immediately my wife steps into action. This is verbatim what she says. Excuse me, I'm the boss's daughter. And I'm like, this is the secret service. You don't boss them around. And I kid you not, dead serious. Like, I'm honest, as true as I'm standing here. The guy, um, we got the boss's daughter here. Uh, should we let him in? Yes, sir, Mr. Antley, go ahead on through. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, my name is on the board, I showed you my ID, and we get to the very next one. And immediately, I'm, I'm dead serious, we get there, and I said, yes, sir, I'm Mr. Antley, I'm, I'm here to see the president. And uh, he said, well, well, what can I do for you? I, said, I'm, I'm, I just said it, I'm, I'm here to meet the president. And Whitney immediately, I'm the boss's daughter, please let us in. Uh, boss's daughter coming on through, let, us, let him in, move the gates. And I'm just like, this is really cool to be married to the boss's daughter. Like, there's some type of authority that is carried with her identity. 
You see, and the fact is, whenever you know who you are in God, you carry some tremendous authority. But here's the most powerful thing that the enemy, I believe, is doing in our culture, in our day and age. You see, it's keeping you from knowing your identity, and now you have no authority. So now what we're doing because we don't know our identity is we're looking online for somebody to tell us if we're important, if we got enough likes, if we're cool. We're hoping that enough people will high five us. We're hoping that we get that pay raise. We're hoping that we get that promotion to say that we've achieved. We're hoping that our husband does this and our wife does this. And if they would just do that and give me my identity, make me feel important, then I would have some type of power and authority. But that is not the way that God intended it. God said that I am your creator. You were made in my image. You were made in my likeness. And when you find identity in me, you're not looking for somebody else to fill these gaps that they can't fill. I'm the person who gave you identity and I wanna give you authority. The fourth thing that he wants to give us is a purpose so that you can have direction. It says that he placed Adam in the garden so that he could keep it and that he could watch it. So he put him in the garden and he said, hey, you have a very specific purpose and here's what it is. Because if you don't have purpose, you don't have direction. You ever notice that you just don't have any purpose? People just seem to like wander around. Like, have you ever been that guy who like you're, you're somewhere you're supposed to be, but you like don't know where to go? Like the first Sunday I showed up here, I was 20 minutes early. Apparently you don't do that at Four Corners. So I just kind of like wandered around, literally just like, can some, where in the world do I go? And someone was very kind to show me the auditorium and I was the only person in here. And I literally was texting my wife, I'm at the wrong place. They don't have church. Like, like, I'm just like, I'm just that, I, I'm just wandering around. I had no purpose. I was just here. I just, for some reason, wanted to get up and come to this church on that specific Sunday. I didn't really have much of a purpose is just being here. But a lot of times what we do whenever you don't have purpose in your life, you don't have direction and you just kind of wander all over the place. When you don't have purpose and who God's created you to be, where he has placed you, what he has given you, you just kind of wonder with no direction. And eventually what happens is you get in a marriage where you have no direction. You know those marriages where they're just like, you know the good old days when we were dating? You know how much fun we used to have? Man, it was great back then. And I just gotta tell you, that's not what God wants. God wants your best days to be ahead of you, but you have to have some direction for your marriage because you have first have purpose with God and now you have a purpose in your marriage that you know what? We want to be better. Here's where we want to go. Here's what we want to accomplish. I'm telling you, we've only been married for six years, but we are light years ahead of when we got married. She just said amen under her breath. Like I saw it. Like, I mean, like we are doing so much better. But man, when I'm her grandparents' age, God, I hope that I'm saying the same thing because God has given me purpose and direction. So I want purpose and direction here. And the fifth thing that God wants to give is parameters so that you can have protection. Do you love that he put them in the garden and he said, hey, you can eat from all of this. You can eat from any of it except for this one tree. And you know what people say, what type of a good God puts limits on things. What type of a good God would even put a tree that he couldn't eat there at? And I'm just like, you people are dumb. You've never had kids before. I've only had them for about a year and a half. And I gotta tell you, I put parameters up everywhere. I put them all over the place because you know what? Those little girls have the ability to make it to the stairs and they have just as much ability to fall down to their death. Like, I've just accepted it. Like, they have the ability, but I put parameters up. And you know what? They don't like them. 
they really, really don't like them. It's like they never wanted to cross that barrier until I put something in front of them. Then it's like, ah, you're a terrible dad. Let me out. And I'm like, I'm just trying to protect you because I can see the danger that they can't see. You see, so many times we look at this and we say, it's all about the tree. It wasn't all about the tree. What it was is God knew that there were a lot of things we were gonna be able to do, but they weren't gonna be good for us. So he gave us an example right at the beginning and said, I will provide parameters so you can do what is good for you, what is best for you. If you would just obey that, then you will enjoy all of this. And some of you, maybe you're dating or you're just getting married. If you don't have parameters before the marriage, what makes you think that you're going to have parameters in the marriage? Like if you're doing things outside of God's will here, what makes you think that all of a sudden you're going to do it here? Because it doesn't work that way. Because when you get in the habit of getting outside of God's parameters, you also get in the habit of being outside of his protection. You see, what God wants for your marriage is for you to live inside of his parameters, inside of his standards. And if you don't have parameters on your marriage, maybe this is a great opportunity to have a conversation. How does God want us to be helpers together? What are our parameters to protect each other? Some people call it guardrails. What guardrails do we have in our marriage to keep us together, to be helpers for one another? Because anytime that there's a gap between what God wants to provide for you, what God has for you, it'll always manifest in your earthly relationships and specifically your marriage. So if we've identified that this is the helper and now we've identified what God wants to do for us, what does that look like? Because I'll be honest with you, man, I, I, I get off of pace here a lot. I get misaligned left and right. There are times where I'm thrilled with God's place and then there are times where I am ticked about it. There are times where God's provision seems perfect for me and then there are times where it's just not enough. And I'm a pastor, right? I'm supposed to have it together. And there are times I'm just like, you know what, God, you you messed up. I'll take care of it. And what happens is every time I do that, my marriage gets misaligned. So what happens whenever you get to that place? Maybe you're in that season right now. Maybe you've gone through it. I can guarantee you, you will if you haven't at some point and it'll happen time after time after time. So what do you do in those moments when that happens? Well, there's this, cool, this is really cool story of this couple in 1 Samuel that I wanna to read to you very fast. This story is Elkanah, what a name, and Hannah. This is Elkanah and Hannah. And so what happens is Elkanah has two wives, Peninnah, <laughs> Peninnah and Hannah. We'll stick with Hannah and P, all right? Mrs. P and Hannah, all right? So, so, so Elkanah has Mrs. P and he has Hannah and, and, and he's got two wives. It's a different culture, it's a different world back then. So he has his two wives and one of his wives, Mrs. P, is able to give him kids left and right. This is awesome. This is great. Hannah, not so much. Hannah, it says, is unable to provide children for Elkanah. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 5, here's what happens. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. So Elkanah would go every single year to the temple and he would make sacrifices and he would seek the Lord and he would always give some to Mrs. P and her family. But right there in verse 5, he gave a double portion to Hannah because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. 
This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? And once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. So we have this incredible example of what a lot of us experience in life. Very big on visual. So here's what, here's what happened in Hannah's life. Hannah's having some issues with what God has given her, right? Hannah's a little frustrated, and rightfully so. Hannah's sitting there at the place saying, God, why did you put me here? It says that year after year after year, she would go to the Lord and weep bitterly. God, why am I here? Why have you not done this for me? Why don't I have children? I mean, have you ever been there to where you get a little frustrated? You're just like, God, I really don't like this place. And our natural tendency, what we do whenever we get to those places is we start to fill it with other things. That's when we start getting outside of God's will and we start to put our own things in there, right? We start to look and we say, you know what? I'm not happy with this place, but if I could just work over there, things would be a little bit better. If I was just a member of that family, things would be just a little bit better. If I didn't have to go through this in this place, if this church was just a little bit better, if they just did things the way I liked, I would be a little bit better. And we start to try to fill our life with something else. Or how about, how, how about the provision? I mean, have you ever been there? We're like, God, you just are not providing. God, you just aren't giving this for me. And so what a lot of times what we do and what Hannah could have very easily done is, God, you haven't provided this, so I'm going to go find something else. God, this just isn't good enough. I'm, I'm going to go here. I'm going to find my own provision. I'm going to get outside of your will. I'm going to do what I want to do. And we just begin to fill it with, you know what? I want to buy this, so I'm going to buy this. I want to go here and do this, so I'm going to go here and do this. I want to enjoy this, so I'm going to enjoy this. And we get outside of God's will. Or, or how about her identity? One of the main purposes of women back then, one of the main goals was to have children. And she had no children. And to make it better, she had another woman who was her husband's wife who had children and provoked her. Provoked her to the point of tears because she was not fulfilling what she thought she was supposed to be, what she was supposed to fulfill. You ever been there? Ever been there where it's just, God, I just don't, who am I? What am I supposed to be doing here? She goes week after week, time after time, and she prays and she prays and she prays. And nothing happens. So here's what we do when we pray. Is we just begin to fill it with all these other things, right? If I just have this, I'll be happy. If I just go here, I'll do this. If I just have that, I'll be happy. We go outside of God and outside of this, and we try to find it someplace else. But I love what Elkanah did. Every single year, he would be a helper who would take his wife and he would say, we're going to the temple. And not only are we going to the temple, I'm going to give you a double portion for your sacrifice every single year. And it even says in there, he talked to her and said, why are you downhearted? Why are you upset? I love you. I'm here for you. I'm better than 10 sons. He's doing everything he can to help her, but he understood that he wasn't her savior. He had to get her to the savior. 
And then I love what Hannah does. It says that she wept bitterly in anguish. Now that, that phrase there is used only three times in the Bible. It's used once to describe Naomi in the book of Ruth right after her, after her husband and her two sons died and she was left by herself. It happens another time in Job right after he lost everything. Bitter anguish. And then that's where Hannah's at in bitter anguish. So instead of going outside of God's will, instead of going outside of God's provision, what did she do? She went and she prayed. She went and she sought the Lord. And so here's what I found. Is that a lot of us, if we're honest, me included, I've got some things in my life outside of God's provision. And what's happening in my relationship right here is this is being hindered because there are things that are dividing my unity with my helper. So what we do is we say, go to God, right? Any other funny thing that happens is when I say go to God, and a lot of you are hearing this, you're saying exactly that right there. Nothing happens. I said the prayer. I read the scripture. I did the next step one time. Nothing happened. I'm still not satisfied, so I'm going to keep trying to just fill it. I'm going to keep trying to place things in here because here's the truth. It's not the one-time relationship with God. It's the continuation of your relationship with God. It's because as you continue to draw closer to God, he continues to draw closer to you and he continues to pour himself out into your life and he continues to just begin to take things and move them side by side by side. And eventually what happens is things start to be removed. Things start to fall out. The very things that you thought were supposed to be your provision, God takes and removes them by his power, by his truth, by his glory to where eventually what you're left with is a clear tank because I don't have enough water to do it. God, we were so close. Uh, don't look. All right, we did it. We did it. What happens is you're left when you allow God to come into your life, and that is your scripture. That's getting in your word. That is getting in your prayer. That is actually knowing God. Because here's the thing most of us do instead of knowing God, we know the person that knows God. Instead of actually having a relationship with him, we fill this with what somebody else knows, what our pastor knows, what somebody wrote in a book, what we heard 10 years ago, what our friends say, what our parents did for us. We try to fill it with those things and that is not the relationship God wants. God wants you to know what he has to say about you. God wants you to wake up and say, here's what God told me today. Here's what I learned in his word. Here's how I've grown. Here's how God is providing for me. And as you grow closer with him, what happens is your helper continues to grow closer with him too. Because God's goal for your life is to be the one who fills you, who fills the gaps, who takes this place because nobody else can do it. But it's the continuation of being poured out into him, of knowing him, of learning from him, of getting deep into who God is and what he wants to do for your life. Because my last two points, wholeness and soul only comes from wellness with God. Wholeness and soul will only come from wellness with God. Your soul will never be whole until you're well with God. And your relationship with God must always come before your relationship with your spouse. Your relationship with God must become whole before your relationship with your spouse can become whole. So if you're like me and you're sitting here with some ping pong balls and, and they're, they're filling your life and you've got some gaps and you're trying your best to fill it and you realize that that's just not me. That's just, I'm not satisfied. Your relationship with your spouse will never be fulfilled, will never be whole until you first become whole with God. So seek him. 
So what we want to do right now is we're going to take just a moment. You've got your Connect card there in your, in your seats. It came with your little offering envelope. We want you to take that out. And hey, we're going to do something cool today. We're going to challenge you to do a bold step. Because we have zero intention of you just hearing a cool message and walking home and doing nothing with it. Because we want you to do something bold with that. So today, hey, if you're here and you want to check bold step A and you say, today I am making Jesus my Lord and Savior. Maybe you're married, maybe you're not married, but you're like, I'm tired of filling my life with all of these other things that just don't seem to satisfy. Like, I want to know Jesus. Today's your, don't let another day go by without knowing him. Check next step A and we will follow up with you and join in you, join with you on that journey. Or you can check next step B, that today I'm choosing to be baptized. We had an awesome baptism last week. People fully committing their lives to Jesus Christ. And what a celebration we have as a church to get to do that. Here's the next bold step C. I will pray and ask the Lord to reveal to me any gaps in my relationship with him. I will pray and ask the Lord to reveal, is there any gaps? Am I having trouble with your parameters? Am I having trouble with your provision? Am I having trouble with your place? Am I having trouble with your identity? I'm gonna check next step C and say, I'm gonna pray that God would show me those. And here's the really crazy one. If you really wanna be bold, bold step D. As I will confess these gaps to my spouse and ask them, my helper, to pray with me. I will confess these gaps to my spouse and ask them, my helper, to pray with me. Check that and say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna look at my spouse as my savior. They are my helper and I need to get things right with God. Or next step E, I'm going to attend Grow Step One, becoming a member March 11th. Please send me the link for registration and childcare. It's been an incredible opportunity for you to get connected to our church with who we are and what we do. We'll take just a moment, set your connect card off to the side. We're getting ready. The ushers are getting prepared to receive our offering this morning. We take up an offering every week because God is doing incredible things, doing incredible things. Whenever we give, we're able to do incredible things like our outreach projects. We're able to do things like 4C India. We're able to supply these things for our community here. I mean, it's an incredible opportunity that we have to give to what God's doing here at 4C. And so we want to take just a few moments. I'm going to pray. And then our ushers are going to receive the offering. And then our, our band is going to lead us in some worship. So while you're getting prepared, will you just pray with me? God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for all of your incredible blessings. God, we thank you for what you've done, for what you were doing. And God, we just pray right now. God, if there are some gaps in our lives, that God, you would reveal those gaps to us. God, if there are some gaps that have taken place between who you are as our provider, between you are as our God, God, we pray that you would reveal those to us. Begin to reveal it to us right now. Because God, whether we're dating or whether we're married, God, we want a marriage that you intended. We want a marriage like you provide, like a marriage like you, that you would have for us to have. And so God, we pray that you reveal these gaps to us. God, I pray for everybody who's taken bold steps this morning. God, for people who are taking a bold step to confess these to their helper and ask them to pray that God, marriages would just take another step forward, that we would be stronger, that we would be more unified, that we wouldn't be divided by outside things. And that God, we would be stronger as helpers reaching out to you, that we would understand that you are our provider. You are the only one who can fill the gaps, the only ones who can fill the flaws. God, we pray that you would continue to bless 4C. God, take this offering that we give this morning, God, and multiply it. God, do something unique and powerful with every dollar, every cent that's given for your kingdom and for your glory. And God, we will thank you and give you glory and honor in your name. Amen.